gentlemen, welcome to the Back to Truck Up Podcast. I'm James Rooster Bowen. I'm here with Justin Super Trucker Martin. Before we get started, I want to thank OTR Solutions for sponsoring this podcast. They're factoring programs and solutions for taking the sport of trucking companies to a whole new level. I can do a whole podcast on everything these guys bring to the table and the, the, the success stories that come from working with them. But for now, head on over to otrsolutions.com slash btu to learn more. Connect with our dedicated btu team. Justin, how are you doing this morning? Doing well. Uh, getting up bright and early today because we're talking to uh, an actual super trucker on the other side of the world. I got to tell you, Mike, my Twitter handle is completely ironic. I promise you I'm no better or worse <laughs> than any other steering wheel holder out there. I just I didn't realize when I created that handle uh, 12 years ago that I would uh, be stuck with it. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mike Williams of the, of the On the Road podcast live. From across the world, East Coast, Australia. Mike, how are you doing this morning? Or actually, uh, midnight? This mid is it midnight over there in Australia? It's damn near midnight here now, mate. But yeah, I'm I'm fine. We've just let the kangaroo. <laughs> we've just let the kangaroos out for the night, so they're going to go out and have a bit of a feed on the grass, and and everything's good. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Mike, uh, if you would tell everybody in the audience about yourself and about your podcast, man. Well, uh, I'm co-host of On The Road Podcast, and you can get that on iTunes and Spotify. Just have a check out and see if you can find On The Road Trucking, On The Road Aussie Trucking Podcast. It's there. Um, I write for Big Rigs Newspaper, which is a national trucking newspaper. I write for New Zealand Trucking Magazine as well. And uh, I'm a full-time Long distance driver, what you guys would call an OTR over to, over the road driver. I run up and down the east coast of Australia. I've uh, driven everything from small trucks to the biggest trucks on public roads anywhere in the world. Driven the quad road trains up in the Pilbara, and uh, met a few American guys while I've been at it. And uh, your mate Ghost Ghost of Gord Gordo, I've met him and uh, had a bit of a chat with him, and and obviously we've crossed paths on Twitter and and. Uh, that's that's pretty much it, mate. I'm just a truckie and uh, proud to be one. Yeah, nice to meet you. I uh, yeah, I was put in touch with you by uh, our mutual friend Gord. He uh, yeah. sent, he sent me this uh, video post on Facebook uh, back in late September by one of your senators, uh, Glenn Sturl is his name. Is that how yeah. you pronounce it? That's right. And yeah. um, goes on a bit of a rant, you know, um, and he starts quoting a line from your podcast, and I found it very interesting because how is it that truck drivers on opposite sides of the planet are all saying the exact same thing at the exact same time. You know, yeah. we see all these problems in the industry right now with these, you know, quote unquote driver shortages, et cetera. And we start to realize like, this isn't a local phenomenon. This is like a whole, this is a problem along the whole entire global industry. Yeah, um, can is. you kind of, can you guys, uh, go down like exactly what he was saying uh, from your podcast? Well, uh, you can listen to my version of the rant on show 102 of my podcast. And at, uh, in my podcast, I do a thing called Something to Talk About, which is a, a segment every week, which is basically a water cooler conversation. Now, this is, this is what's happening. And uh, I've known Senator Stirl for a while. I made a presentation to an inquiry he ran uh, a year, about a year ago. And... Um, it's all about the idea that recruitment and retention and pay for drivers are, are the biggest issues, as as I see them anyway. 
and we've got a number of problems as far as that goes. Obviously, the COVID thing that's that's basically smashed the industry in Australia over the last couple of years. We had uh, blockades on all of our borders. You had to have permits to cross the borders. It was it was like 1938 Europe, you know, like mm-hmm. 39 Europe. You couldn't go anywhere without your pass. And, of course, then we had all the restrictions and the, the mask mandates and the uh, vaccination mandates and everything that you've suffered through in the US as well. And uh, that damaged trucking in Australia a lot. And, of course, we've got an ageing workforce. Um, we don't have uh, the pathways to driving that we used to have. So a lot of our uh, carriers won't let uh, drivers carry their their sons or daughters in the truck with them so that they can be mm-hmm. taught and you know, get a feel for the industry. And, and and it's just it's not any one thing if that makes sense. It's a it's like a it's just like a, a conglomeration of issues that all come together to form the perfect storm, which highlight what I was talking to Glenn about and have talked to Glenn about and what he quoted in the Australian Senate. I think it's the first time in Australia uh, a working truck driver like me has been quoted in the Senate for 10 minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was surprised yeah. about because it goes on for quite a bit. And uh, yeah. there is, there's an old line that I really liked um, when it comes to media and that it's it's um, you get 30 seconds if you're lucky and you get mm. six minutes if you're spectacular. And he got, got 10 minutes of you. I got 10 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's done my ego the world a good, mate. Justin, that's done my my ego the world a good. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um. So with with these with the COVID lockdowns that you guys went through with your your border crossings and stuff, you know, in in America it was basically more like the cities. You know, the cities were more locked down than like the urban, or I'm sorry, the rural areas. Um. So yeah. a lot of your more rural states were kind of just like lockdowns. No, like they realized. You know, we, we need to stay open to stay alive and stay in business. Yeah. But the more concentrated population centers, that's where everything was was kind of locked down. Um, so there was no like universal um, enforcement of lockdowns or restrictions or anything. Was that kind of true in Australia or is it more like a single mindset? Oh, no, we do uh, we do authoritarian totalitarianism a lot better than you guys yeah. over here. Um, oh, you know, it's all part of uh, the, being, a, being a prison colony. You know all about that. Well, <laughs> we, we can go there. We, we weren't smart enough to have the tea party. That's all I can say. Um, the, the, the short story of it is is that we, uh, we had a thing they called the National Cabinet, uh, which was formed by our former Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. And uh, they were the premiers of each of the states and they got together and they basically decided policy and they were supposed to be working hand in glove with each other. And, of course, when the premiers went back to their states, they then promptly went and proceeded to do whatever it was they wanted to do. And um, we had a situation where uh, lockdowns, the ideas between the lockdowns and the mandates and everything were fairly universal and anyone that said anything against it was pretty much shot to hell. So um, we basically just uh, worked along under those lines and we're still living with the aftermath of it now. Um, there are still places that, even though all of this is supposed to be in the rearview mirror, are still proceeding along the same lines with the... Uh, some places are still requiring uh, rapid antigen testing, for example... Some places are still requiring you to wear masks, for example. It, it, uh, 
it's become an insidious thing that that's sort of gone through and staying in place because people are too scared to take it out some some people are yeah. yeah i live up in the northeast and when i was in philadelphia you know i would say 95% mask compliance. You know, you go outside yeah. and everybody was wearing masks. And that kind of went away in the summers just because it was so damn hot. Yeah. Um, but by the second wave, I think people were like, oh, this, no, nah, this sucks. And when they started lifting the restrictions um, this last spring, um, cases went up just a tiny bit. And yeah. they tried to enforce another lockdown and, and more mask mandates. And that, yeah. lasted, that lasted less than 48 hours. Everybody was yeah. like piss off we're so done with this yeah no and it was done you know yep. I, I don't think there's any state or city ordinance now that's enforceable as far as mask mandates now if you go into like a hospital or a clinic or whatever you know they're going to require you to wear a mask but as far mm. as like citywide or anything like that nah nobody nobody really cares anymore yeah, well, that's the only places here we've got left two hospitals and clinics and things like that where you, you, you're yeah. required to wear one. Um, but all of the other mandates and everything all finished here uh, oh, probably a, a week or so ago, I hope. I, I hope I'm not lying, but it was. Mm. It, it, it feels that's about right. And That, that recent, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just it's not that, not that long ago. So here in the States, we had um, different governors of different states all having their own various form of COVID policies. Mm. Um, I think there's starting to become a reckoning of, of people realizing like, oh, these policies were pretty bad for us. And then the ones who took a gamble with being a little more lax on the policies are starting to re- you know, rake in the rewards. You know, you got uh, yeah. uh, Ron DeSantis down in Florida. He's probably going to be our next president or at least the next Republican nominee. Um, <laughs> has think? there been... Really? Maybe, really? yeah, maybe. I can. Um, I could get. I could get. Yeah, go on. Sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, no. <laughs> are there any are there any politicians in Australia that have taken like that same? I'm I'm not saying whether I agree with him or not. I, I used to live yeah, in Florida, yeah, sure. so Florida is a is a total wild card of a state. Um, but are there any politicians in in Australia that are like like Ron DeSantis who were against the, the the mandates and all that from the beginning and are now you know reaping the rewards so to speak? Uh, there were some who were against it. Uh, right from the beginning and paid the penalty. Hmm. Uh, they're no longer in office. Um, we we we'd had a had a few politicians here who were quite vocal about uh, various things, and unfortunately they, they chose to leave parties and things. I'm thinking principally of a bloke named Craig Kelly who uh, was um, very vocal, and unfortunately he wasn't returned in the last elections we had. So. Uh, can you send Ron over for a bit? Show him how it's done. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, I think we're a very, very different country politically. I mean, uh, Glenn Stirl, for example, the, the, my friend, the senator, and he is a personal friend. We've had, uh, we've had uh, dinner together uh, once or twice now, and, and uh, he, is, he actually was a, an owner-driver himself, mm. and his boy, uh, his boy works in the industry. And he's got a great passion for trucking, and he is what you would call a Democrat. So, but he's a he's a, a right wing Democrat, if that makes any sense. He's not a he's not a left wing lunatic. He's a or what you would call a liberal. He's a he's a he's a right wing uh, Democrat. So we call them Labor. That's the Labor Party here in Australia, the ALP. 
they would be called uh, blue dog Democrats here. He probably would be, yeah, yeah. So, all, all um, seven of them. <laughs> all seven of them. No, no. Uh, Glenn's a a pragmatist more than mm. anything, I think, and uh, and he's very, very real about what he's doing. And now, of course, the Labor Party, the governing body or the governing uh, party here in Australia now, and uh, he's part of the uh, the reform, I suppose. We're we're about to have, I think, a major shake up here. Um, we've got a, a body called the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator, which is probably like your Department of Transport. We don't have the same rules here that you guys have in the States. We don't have numbers on the side of our trucks. We don't... Trucking in Australia, even though we've got a lot of things in common, there are a lot of things very, very different. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say your guys are better than ours or you know, our guys are better than yours. We do the same thing. <laughs> it's all just know? different. It's just it's just that the, the the playing fields the playing fields the same. It's just that the rules are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know? I see you guys are having trouble with um, uh, what they call uh, what do you, what do you call it double brokering? Yeah. Uh, the, the, there was some guy yeah. done for from Mexico or something for for fraud. Was it? Yeah, we don't. That, we we posted that article yesterday. Basically, uh, for people that don't know what double brokering is, it's a guy that's uh, He'll uh, accept a, a load from a shipper, think with the shipper thinking that he's the actual logistics company that's going to ship the load, but then he resells or rebrokers that load to somebody else mm. using a, a sh- uh, shell companies, and then once he gets once that load gets delivered, the shipper pays him, but he doesn't pay the actual company that shipped the load. So yeah. He, He'll either keep all the money or he'll take 70 or 60, 70% of the money and just pay the guy basically, you know, buy gas. Yeah. So you skim, a, just skim a big cut off the top. Yep. Yep. And, you know, uh, according to the, you know, the government, it's considered a, a form of wire fraud. Yeah. So uh, the guy that got caught, he, uh, we kind of, I don't know how the extradition treaty is with. Mexico, but they caught the guy over in Italy on a vacation. <laughs> so the Italian government grabbed him, shipped him back to the U.S., and now he's facing four counts of wire fraud, 25 years each, a quarter million dollar fine, plus he has to pay about a quarter million dollars in restitution for all of the double brokering he did. Yeah. You guys Damn, he's can, unlucky uh, getting read caught that on all of over. It. Yeah, you Sorry. guys can read that article up on uh, backtotruckup.com. Yeah, I'm hoping they use him as an example because it's, again, I was never in the whole owner-operator or lease-operator side of the industry and seeing all these guys that are, you know, skimming off the top and ripping off drivers and, and all that. That stuff adds, that all that all adds up over, over time. You know, it's yeah. you're talking billions of dollars, you know, a yeah, year by these guys uh, ripping drivers off. Well, we, we have uh, really only sort of just started uh, – we're – we're, we're, we're just starters, probably not right. Uh, we're, the way our freight is allocated is uh, we have uh, loading agents, I suppose, but that's what we call them. And uh, they have their fingers in lots of pies and they get the loads and, of course, the, the drivers will book in with them and, and get loads. Um, we're just sort of starting to move towards online um, loading agents. Uh, so there's a few of those platforms that are about now, so owner drivers can 
pay their membership fee to a, a, a group and they can go there and they can see what loads are available and, and bid on the loads. And I suppose you've got a similar setup. When I was an owner-operator, um, we never had that. It was a case of phone calls. So you'd ring up. You know, I, had a, I had a certain portion of my own freight, which was my own customers. But I had a loading agent in Adelaide and a loading agent in Melbourne and a loading agent in Sydney. And if I was going to Adelaide I'd, and I needed a load in Adelaide, I'd just ring the agent up and say, hey, uh, Bob, I'm going to be in Adelaide uh, Wednesday. Can you sort of tee something up for me to go back to Melbourne, you know? And I have, and that was I have to worked. imagine doing that over the phone is a great filter too because if you're talking to somebody and they don't have that Australian accent, you're like, I don't know this guy, <laughs> click. <laughs> yeah, well, see, the thing about it was is you, you, we all knew the brokers, what we we call agents, we call brokers, we we knew them personally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd, I'd go into the office in Adelaide and say good day, and, you know, because he was just around the corner from the, the big roadhouse where we used to go and park, you know, just walk over the road and say, good day, how you going, mate, and, and do that sort of networking face-to-face. So we, we never developed past that for a long time, and it's only recently in the last several years that we've started doing this online online thing. The personal relationships uh, are the glue that, that keeps trucking together, I think. Absolutely. And uh, that sort of started to go away a little bit. Um, I've uh, been constantly amazed by the fact the way attitudes have changed on the roads. Uh, We've got a a huge... um, We've got a huge driver shortage here now, but it's not something that's been a secret. It's it's been something that's... uh, We've been talking about it for ages, like decades we've been talking about it. Just... Only today, I read a press release from uh, one of the big, uh, bigger companies that's down in Victoria, which is the southern part of Australia. And uh, because they can't replace their drivers, because they've had uh, key people leave um, and haven't been able to replace them, they're closing their doors. And mm. there's going to be a lot of guys who are going to lose their job. Now, there were three companies last week in Australia about the same size that shut down. Um, and it's been a... It's been a, a constant thing for the last probably 12 months. Uh, guys just saying, that's it, we've had enough, and they're sending all their equipment to the auctions um, and, and selling it all. And, and so we've had drivers who have been released into the market, and that's sort of propping up things at the moment as far as it goes, but it won't go on forever. And so, oh, sorry, go, go on, sorry, yeah. you're right. Well, so it, I, the history of truck driving in America you know, it all kind of started falling apart in 1980 with deregulation. Yeah. You know, it, it all happened before I was born. But, you know, I would I was driving with guys in the Postal Service who were old enough that they were around when Jimmy Hoffa was running things. A lot of those guys yeah. were former Teamsters and, and former Hoffa guys. And some of the stories yeah. that they would tell me of the way things were when they were driving, uh, I mean – it's 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 kind of like what you were saying. You know, everything was personal. Everything was over the phone. Everything was face to face. There was no, you know, website that you click on to you know yeah. book your loads or anything. So, I I think with the the new tech stuff that definitely helps like streamline and um, accelerate things. But then it also opens the door to these you know double broker scams and it kind of like depersonalizes yeah. everything. Um, but you know that, that's all you hear now is like you know, oh it, it, trucking was great until deregulation was there kind of the same story in australia was there like a golden age of trucking and then a law got passed and it all just went to shit well it it depends on who you talk to 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been involved in trucking in Australia for a long time. Um, I've owned trucks. I've employed drivers. I've had guys towing trailers for me. And now I'm a, a company driver. Uh, and I drive some pretty flash gear and I've got a good job that pays well. You couldn't give me a truck now. If you come up to me and said, hey, Mick, I'll just give you this uh, uh, Kenworth and or whatever and you can just go and have that and drive it, I'd say thanks, but I'm fine the way I am. Because as an owner-operator these days, I'd have to have a very good week every week to make what mm-hmm. I make now as a company driver. That Mike, uh, talking about truck brands, you know, uh, mm-hmm. America, we have our, you know, Big sleeper cab conventional trucks, you know, yep. big freight liner Cascadias, the, <laughs> the <laughs> Peterbilt. <laughs> yeah, those guys. <laughs> then you go over to Europe and it's more of a, you know, cab over style, lorry style. Yeah. What is the kind of, what is the kind of trucks Australia prefers? You know, I, I know I see a lot <laughs> of like vocational style, heavier duty built trucks, you know, and I'm actually still use steel instead of plastic and fiberglass like they do yeah. over here. Yeah. Why, do y'all, why do you guys drive over there? Well, there's a lot of guys. Kenworth are very popular over here. Um, Kenworth build basically two big highway trucks. They build a thing called a, a 610 SAR, which is uh, a, a sloped bonnet, like a snub-nosed 900 Kenworth. Huge, huge sleeper for over here. It's, you know, 50-inch sleepers are... Normal size. I drive a uh, Kenworth 909, which is a uh, basically a, a, a. It's one of the bigger conventional trucks. It's got a 50 inch integrated sleeper. We don't get sleepers much bigger than that here. If you got, if you went and bought a um, a Freightliner, um, you could get a 58 inch sleeper in the in the Freightliner. Um, that was a CST 120. Uh, was the last one like that. Oh, Coronado maybe was probably the last one with that size sleeper on it. And they're popular. The so conventional Justin could survive in Australia because he's the Coronado guy. Yeah. Had, that was that was my favorite truck, man. I, I went from a Freightliner Argosy, the yeah. piece of shit cab over. Oh, yeah, I yeah. hated those things. They rode yeah. rough. And I was lucky. The one yeah. I was in, it was an extended frame because we had a yeah. dramatory box on the back of the cab. So yeah. the wheelbase was the same as a conventional, yeah. but the body type was a was a cab over. So it was like it, it still rode smoother than you know your typical cab over here. But yeah, man, yeah. our roads are our roads are so damn rough. And and, and we're, we're driving team, so yeah, I'd be yeah. in the back. I'd be in the back trying to get some sleep, and yeah. you hit any kind of bump, it just tosses you right out of the bunk. Yeah, yeah. And cool. when our when our when our company upgraded to these uh, the twenty thirteen uh, Coronados, oh man, that was like some of the best sleep I ever got in my life. Yeah, but see, those Coronados that you had then, they they weren't what we got here in Australia and called a Coronado. We were getting the C-120s back then. Mm-hmm. Um, the Coronado that we get now is uh, not like your uh, not like your uh, square bonnet one. It's a little bit more rounded and uh, and that sort of thing. The Argosy you can't get in Australia anymore. No, that doesn't exist. That's surprising. Uh, we don't have we don't have. Uh, conventional Volvos over here, so you can't buy a VNL Volvo. You buy a cab over Volvo, a Globetrotter, the same as you see in Europe. Mm. Um, Mac, we, we've just got the Mac Anthem uh, here in Australia. Oh. Uh, they're, they're coming out now, and they're putting some big bunks on them. They're putting 60-inch bunks on those. 
Um, as I say, you can still buy your Kenworth uh, 610, your 909s, and the smaller Kenworth sizes, uh, and they're quite popular. Western Star are, pop- are reasonably popular. Um, we're also getting a lot of the other European cabovers like the DAFs and the MANs as well, but uh, they're mostly for your around town thing. The K200 Kenworth, there's a big fat cab Kenworth. Um, they're a popular thing for two-up teams. Uh, because we love the B double combination over here, the super, but what you guys call a super B, I suppose, or the Canadians call a super B anyway. Yeah. And um, we love those over here. We love road trains over here as well. Um, we like to hook two or three or four trailers, one behind the other, and time down the road. That's fun. Uh, Every time I see photos of these things, I'm just, I'm still just, you know, blown away because the mm. biggest you'll ever see here is, a, you know, triples, you know, and they're yeah. all pup trailers. Yeah. Um, very rarely, like if you're on toll roads, like down in Florida, mm. there's a Florida turnpike. You have what they call turnpike doubles. Yeah, yeah. And I believe yeah. those are either uh, two forty-eight foot or two fifty-three foot trailers. Yeah. But the only thing you ever see hauling those are like potato chip companies, um, super light. You're, you're never going to see a Pepsi truck or Coca-Cola truck hauling two fifty-three foot trailers. It's just too much weight, and we don't have the yeah. equipment that could uh, pull that. Plus, you know, you go over a bridge over here, that bridge is collapsing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've had a lot of improvements to our infrastructure over here. Um, you can drive between, I don't know, Newcastle, which is uh, a couple of hours north of Sydney, all the way to the south side of Melbourne without hitting a traffic light, dual road all the way. Wow. Uh, um, and it's, you know, but we're speed limited. God, don't, don't let you guys, do not let them speed limit you, all right? Mm. Do whatever you can. Yeah. Don't yeah. let them speed limit you. Okay, speak on that, speed. please, because we just had um, the FMCSA had a, an open, what do they call it, Rooster? Um, comment period. Comment period, thank you. Yeah, where they yeah. allow anyone to submit a comment either for or against um, yeah. whatever policy proposal they have at the time, and they just had one for speed limiters. I don't know right. what speed they're trying to limit to, maybe 60, maybe 65 miles per hour. Yeah. But I've, I've always said that any lawmaker that's in favor of some stupid law like this they should drive to work and to home every single day behind two semi trucks that are trying to pass each other that's right that's what we that's one of the biggest things we get now and it's the biggest complaint i think that people have you'll get one guy doing 99 kilometers an hour and another guy doing 101 and they're trying mm-hmm. to pass each other we're limited to 100 kilometers an hour which is just like 62 mile an hour or something and yeah oh, but the worst yeah. part about the the, the, the worst part about it is for me and for anyone that actually has a functioning brain cell, <clears throat> speed limiters are only limiting top speed, right? The worst accidents that happen involving heavy trucks here in Australia aren't happening on the main highways at highway speed. The worst hap- accidents that are happening driving through town at 80 kilometres an hour or driving through, you know, someone pulls out in front of someone, they clean them up or something like that. Yeah. These accidents, you know, these accidents, the worst ones that do the most damage to life and limb are happening not at 100 kilometres an hour. What happens now, we have divided roads. We have obviously uh, B and C roads, the same as you guys do. And if you want to try and go past someone, you don't have anything up your sleeve. And yeah. all, it ta- all it takes is for someone to decide that you're not going past them and they can speed up to 105 and they get to the end of an overtaking lane, and they just slow down to whatever it is they're doing. And the frustration level is just 
off the chart, believe me. Yeah, it, and, you know, people, every, everybody can understand being stuck behind a semi truck. Yeah, trying to trying to pass another one, but they have no idea how just how you know frustrating it is being the driver in yeah. that situation. You know, when I would go into Canada, um, the company I was driving for at the time, my truck was limited to sixty three mi- uh, sixty three or sixty five miles yeah. per hour, and yeah. so the speed the speed limit out there that's that's just over a hundred kilometers an hour. Yeah, and every single truck trying to pass each other, it's just like, meh. yeah, you know, it, it takes you two miles to pass to pass anybody. Yeah, um, the the Germans have a great phrase for that. I, I don't know how it's said in German, but it, the, the rough translation is elephant racing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the the worst part about it is is that everyone's trying to do their own thing, and they're trying to get to where they want to go, and they're concerned about what they're doing. We've got guys over here who are paid trip money, kilometer rate. So they're paid. The more Ks they do, the more they get paid. You, I'm sure you've got mile, mileage yeah. rates where guys yeah. are getting paid by mileage. the mile. Yeah. Which is one of the things that Glenn uh, quoted me on in the Senate. My view is that, you know, since our logbooks are run by the hour and since all the work we do is you know, by the hour, we should get paid by the hour. And we should, get paid, we should get paid the same way that anyone in any other profession gets. So if you get penalty rates like time and a half or extra money for working weekends or public holidays or or stuff like that, then yeah. we should get that. If you get rostered days off for you know hours that you work, you should get paid that. We get paid sick days, and this is why I work where I work because I get all this stuff, right? Um, I get paid very very well for what I do. It's a dangerous job, or it can be if you don't get it right. But you know, for the most part. Um, I get paid very, very well. And my main cause and the thing that I'm fighting for personally through my show and through the political stuff that I do is to get drivers recognised as the professionals that they are because during COVID we were all essential. Now we're not. <laughs> and, and, you know. Yeah, how quick How quick did that get swapped out? Yeah, yeah. And and so we get guys, I've got friends who, who cart refrigerated freight, for example, and so they, you know, they, they get time slotted to go in and load somewhere. They appear to, to, to unload or load or whatever it is that they're going to do. And then they get to sit there for hours and wait, you know, and they're doing it for free and they can't be anywhere else. Like they're at work. Same thing here because, I, you know, one of my biggest criticisms about paying drivers per mile, not per hour, yeah, yeah. is you're only getting paid for the easiest part of the job. That's you know, right. Holding a steering wheel and driving over a straight line for 500 miles in a day, yeah. Anyone, anyone with a pulse can do that. You know, that's right. Listen, listen to the radio, listen to your podcast, and yeah, and uh, don't fall asleep. You can do it. But yeah. backing, you know, driving through a city or backing up yeah. to a dock or you know figuring out your paperwork. They, yeah. Most companies don't pay you for that stuff. If you're yeah. fortunate, yeah. you're you're with a company that that pays detention pay. Yeah, but it's not it's not going to be a lot. You know, yeah, it's, you know. Um, I've always said that you know paying drivers by the mile, and then passing that cost onto the shippers receivers is going to you know expedite everything because right now yeah. they're not incentivized. You know if, if if I'm a warehouse somewhere and I got some poor truck driver sitting on my dock, hmm. what do I care? You know my guys are going to load them when they load them. But if if yeah. they're if they're taking their sweet time to load him, and the broker starts billing me for the time that that driver's sitting there, I want that guy off my door asap. Yeah, that, yep. Yesterday, you want him off your door. Yeah, and and yeah. and the thing, the thing. This is the thing. You see, we've got this situation here where we get local drivers who are paid by the hour, 
mm-hmm. are going into the same distribution centres with lot, lot, like over the road drivers, mm-hmm. and they're in the queues and all the rest of it. And because these guys are getting paid by the local drivers, are getting paid by the hour, the guys that own the trucks are bitching, and they're getting brought in and unloaded because there's bitching going on, you know, and and the over the road drivers are left to sit there and stew, you know. Yeah. It used to annoy the absolute hell out of me, you know, oh, Mick, it's an overnight load. We've got to get it there. It's got to be there, you know, first thing in the morning, man, you've got to do it. Cut whatever corners you can, you know. I've had guys say to me, mate, we don't care what you do. If you get done for speed and we'll pay the ticket, just get it there, right? I've had them, get, I've had them say it to me. And then you, you do whatever it is that you need to do to get there. Oh, yeah, mate, we've been waiting for that. Can you park over there and we'll get to you as soon as we can? And three hours later... You know, the forklift driver comes over and says, "Yeah, mate, you can whip that, uh, whip that over there, and we'll unload you now." And just, uh, I wish your viewers could see my frustration, or your listeners could see my frustration, because it just absolutely drives drives me nuts. Yeah, and it still happens. And this is the reason why we don't. We've got a driver shortage because guys are sick of they're putting up. They're not putting up with it. What's what was the long? Do you know off the top of your head, like what your the longest you've ever waited somewhere to get loaded or unloaded? I can tell you a story about it if you want to, mate. Just take sure. a couple of minutes. Sure. I'd loaded out of Melbourne to go to a, a very large distribution centre at a, a place over near Adelaide. And I had a 7 o'clock time slot to unload. I had a midday time slot around the back, the other side of the building, to load to go back to Melbourne. This is the stuff that does, uh, uh, like Walmart, just that sort of general uh, stuff that you buy in, in a shop. You know, like, uh, I don't know. I know it's like Walmart because I've been to a Walmart. But <laughs> think Walmart, all right? Not Walmart, though, because I don't want to be sued by them, all right? <laughs> but it wasn't them, okay? So I go to this DC. I'm there on time. I ended up waiting over eight hours to get unloaded. So I missed my loading slot around the other side. And I ended up being in this place for 23 hours before I got in and got out. There was a toilet. There was no shower. There was a vending machine that you could get potato crisps and peanuts and that sort of crap out of, or a soft drink, but no real food, right? And because we didn't have, at the time I was an owner driver when this happened to me, I didn't have any of the stuff in my truck. I didn't have a microwave. I didn't have an inverter. I didn't have a uh, what what you call an APU. I didn't have one of those. I, you know, I'm just a truck driver with a bloody icebox, you know? And it was 40 degrees, middle of summer, cement, and you had to hand your keys in so that you wouldn't drive off the dock with their forklift in the back of your trailer. (laughs) That's their logic. That's a quick story. That's true, I swear to God. My Within like my first or second month of driving Mm. a truck, um, the company I started with had the bright idea of sending me to this place in Winchester, Indiana. Right. It's called R Dog or R Dag A R D A G H, and it's a glass manufacturing company. They make glass bottles for all kinds of products. Yeah, and I I get there and they have three different types of appointments. There's there's at, on, or by. So if you have an at appointment, you have to be there at 5 p.m. sharp. Yeah, yeah. Or if it's an on appointment, you have to be there on that certain date by business close or a by. So by was yeah. the best ones because you can get there like a day or two early. And it gets you next load. Yeah. And never fails. Every time they give you a, an at appointment, 
you know, you, they're like, you got you to gotta be there three o'clock sharp or they're, they're going to reject you or whatever, whatever. Yeah, so yeah. I get to this place 15 minutes early and there's already a line of trucks at the gate. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah. this is great. Get out the truck, go to the, the guard shack. And I'm talking with the guy and he's like, yeah, go on. He's like, you, you cut the line. He's got these guys are waiting for something else. Go on door or whatever. So I back on the door. And I go inside the building and it's just a bunch of guys just sitting around playing cards on the break tables. And I'm like, hey, guys, what's up? And they're like, they're like, we don't want to talk to you. And I was like, OK, cool. And I try to go in the office to find out where I'm getting loaded or what I'm where I'm going. And every uh, response from somebody was, well, that's not my job. That's not my job. That's not my job. Yep. Yep. And after after about the eighth, that's not my job. I was like, oh, who, whose job is it? I don't care. Who do I got to talk to about yep. getting somebody to start loading my trailer? And finally, they find some guy and he goes, oh, it's it, well, it's lunchtime. So nobody's nobody's going to be loading you. And then and. <laughs> And another two hours is going to be a shift change. So they're probably yep. not going to start loading you until after, after the next the shift, shift comes change. in. And yep. I'm thinking, oh, my. And this is, you know, I'm again, I'm a new driver. And I'm thinking, this, this is it. This is my this is my job now. Yeah. 18 hours later, I'm yeah. finally finished unloading at this place. Yeah. After after about five hours of sitting there, I'm, I'm calling my dispatcher, telling them what's going on. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we know about this place. It happens all the time. There's a there's a, a pizza restaurant across the street. Just just walk over there and get some dinner. And I, I'm like, just, yeah. I'm like, I'm like so livid at the time. And yeah. um, it was going from Indiana to the port of Baltimore. And yeah. when I when I finally get to Baltimore, I told the guys, I was like, I don't know if you're ever expecting anything from these guys to be here on time. But, you know, don't ever rely on them and they're like oh yeah we know yeah it's, it's it's a pain in the ass but they were just so resigned to you know the 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 situation at hand because they're just like yeah they're they're a regular customer of ours and we know we know the drill yeah but the the, the first thing i noticed about that place was it was all it was it was a union shop yeah and that's something that's something you'll notice as a truck driver any place you go to whether it's a shipper receiver whatever you'll know within a five minutes of being there, whether it's run by a union or not, because if it's, yeah. if it's run by a union, you're going to be sitting. Yeah. And if it's not, you're probably going to have to pay like a lumper to unload you, but at least you're going to be in and out in a hurry. So yeah. that, that kind of imagine being a truck driver and dealing with that kind of bullshit for years and years on end. And then it's any wonder why so many truck drivers in this country are so anti-union. Yeah. It's because every time, if, if, if you're not a union member, if you're interacting with people who are in a union, it's like the most, you know, ass backwards, you know, situation you got to deal with. Yeah, Do you guys know, have that same know. problem out there? Nah, not with the unions. Our uh, transport workers union, um, uh, they don't have that much power. Uh, not anymore, anyway. Hmm. Uh, a lot of guys aren't union drivers. There, look, there are there are guys that are in the union, but I don't think they're in it for any of that that sort of stuff. I mean, we do get that same sort of. Bullshit that you're talking about uh, with the waiting and the, and the and the the times and guys sitting around the card tables. Oh, it's not my job. You know? <laughs> I don't care. And we, we we've sort of suffered through the same pain that you suffered. It's, it's just weird talking to you guys. I mean, let's cut out the accents. If we were just talking in sort of a, a neutral accent, we're all talking about the same thing. Yeah. You know, we we get guys who have to deal with this bullshit day in and day out. And they get fed up with it and they just pull the pin. Now, I don't know about you, but if a driver loses his rag in one of these places and starts to tell him off or in any way do anything like raise his hands above his belt buckle, um, the security come and there's a big issue and then there's some guy that comes around with a, a shirt and tie and a clipboard and it just all goes to shit from there. Yeah. 
you know, and it's the driver's fault. You've got a bad attitude, mate. You're not Mm -hmm. a team player, you know. Uh, This is all your fault. You know, you can take your truck and piss off. And that generally means you've lost your job, you know. So you get to the point, I've seen guys just lose it completely in some of these places and grab someone by the shirt front and push them up against the wall. It never ends well. (laughs) And um, you just got to wonder why we let it develop. I mean, there are a couple of things in my view. Drivers have let this stuff go on for that long and the companies are that afraid, the margins in trucking over here are that slim that no one can afford to lose a contract. No one can afford to argue the point with the customers because there's always some other guy that will do the same job for the same or less money. And so we're all that scared. We had a thing over here called the Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal. And uh, it's, it's about eight years ago now. That was on, I think, eight years, somewhere around there. And it was all about um, acknowledging the fact that road safety is a, re- is a reflection of what companies are earning. So if they're earning the right money, they can pay their drivers properly, they can maintain their mm-hmm. trucks properly, they can do their job properly. And there was a, an equity, uh, an, a, a, there was an inequity to the way things were done with the bigger companies and the smaller companies and all that sort of stuff. So this Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal was set up to try and sort a lot of this stuff out and get people paid properly for all the work that they did. And there was a lot of uh, false information put out, a lot of propaganda, and I must admit to my horror now, I was one of the loudest, (laughs) one of the voices that uh, argued against it simply because uh, I didn't see the value in what they were doing and I'm afraid I I got on the wrong bus. And uh, we, we... I think the right thing was done by shutting it all down, but it was replaced with nothing. And, of course, everyone went quiet and and the same problems have been allowed to fester and and get worse. And this is where we're at now. We're at the point now where it's time once again to see if we can go through the process of getting some uh, formal agreement to tidy things up. Anyway, that's where we're at. Yeah, I think... A lot of the problems here in in the United States is that it's all decentralized. Yeah, you, know, you you could have you could have some guys in like Connecticut that are set up in their ways, but then mm-hmm. you know somebody in, some company in Ohio has a completely separate you know set of rules that they they operate under. Yeah. There is no one umbrella in which the whole entire you know truck driving industry operates under here. It's completely yeah. and again you know you can get super conspiratorial with this kind of stuff because it really opens the door to all kinds of conspiracy thinking because yeah. you know people would say like oh this was all planned and blah 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 and I'm like it, it, it doesn't even have planned. to be it's 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 just <laughs> it's supply and demand you have too many yeah. see and that's what drives me nuts you have journalists out here that con- it's just the other day um they there was a in new york state had a uh one of their trucking um associations was like oh yeah we're gonna try and you know increase you know we're, we're combating the driver shortage and it, I lose my top every time somebody yeah. says driver shortage. I, I, from what I'm seeing with you guys in Australia, it does kind of seem like you do have a shortage. We do not have one here. Ours is a re, is a retention problem or a turnover problem because we have more people with commercial driver's licenses than there are job openings. But the problem is nobody wants to work the truck driving jobs for the 
wages they're paying or the working conditions that they're under. So what typically happens is you'll have these big mega carriers. They're all subsidized by the federal government to have these training programs. And they have a constant influx of new drivers that get that come in. You know, and, and I was one of them 15 years ago. And the typical career path was you go to one of these mega carriers, you eat shit for like a year or two while you pay off your, your truck driving school debt, and then you go on to a better company. And what's been ha- what's been happening in the last decade is that's all falling apart. Now, guys will come into the industry, realize what the lifestyle and the pay is like, and instead of quitting and going somewhere else, they just leave the industry altogether. That new driver to experienced driver to good company pipeline is completely breaking down. Um, companies like Walmart, yeah. when I first started drug driving truck, they were one of they, some of the hardest companies to get into. I mean, they had a, a like a 90 plus percent uh, rejection rate. You know, they wanted rock star drivers. Best two, of the best of the best. Best of the best of the best. Two million plus miles, accident free, blah, blah, blah. And now, I mean, they're not taking anyone with a pulse, but, you know, they're passing probably 50, 60 percent of people who apply yeah, now. Right. Yeah. Well, as you, as you said, we don't have the same problems that you do. But we certainly do have recruitment problems. We definitely have retention problems. And we do have the turnover issues that you're talking about. And the reasons for that are, quite simply, that the drivers, like your, like you guys, they're not being paid properly. They don't want to work under the conditions that we're working under. We get some of the most nitpicky enforcement you've ever seen. You know, and, the, and the fines are absolutely eye-watering for even the most simple things. And guys just don't want to do it anymore. And like you, some of our pipelines have dried up as well. We don't have the young guys coming through that used to come through. If you haven't gone to otrsolutions.com slash BTU yet, here's your reminder. Not sure how to say it, but factoring these guys just makes sense. They're focused on driving your success and helping you grow your company. They've gone as far as offering custom business email address setups so you can negotiate better rates with brokers. There's just so much opportunity out there, and OTR is your ticket to success. So head on over to otrsolutions.com slash btu and check out their solutions. Well, yeah, I was saying that, you know, here in, here in the States, our problem is it's not a driver shortage problem. It's a driver retention problem. You know, you got guys that, that come in, they, you know, get treated like shit, and then they just leave. Um, and all these companies that have been treating their drivers very well over the years, their fleets are are ancient. You know, I was one of the youngest drivers in the postal service when I was there. You know, I was working with guys in their seventies. Our, our, our number two, John Allen on our seniority list, the guy is 76 years old, still driving a truck every single day and he'll drive circles around you. Well, we've, we've got that same sort of thing here. The company that I work for, we've got a a guy working there who was one of the ringleaders of the blockade we had here in 1979, uh, over road tax. (laughs) Mm. And, uh, Barry Grimson, his name is, and he's a great guy and he's taught me a lot. I look up to him, I respect him a lot. And and um, there are guys like him that are still around. He's he's well into his 70s. Um, there are young guys as well, but the attitudes, the attitudes change. You've got to remember, we've got a population in Australia that is smaller than California. Like we're 24 million mm-hmm. people. Um, trucking is uh, one of the, largest employers of people in the country it's also the most dangerous job in australia so we have 
the same as all the all the over the road uh, drivers you have. We've got the family issues. We've got the lifestyle issues. We've got the mental health issues. We've got the fact that it's damn near impossible to get a decent meal on the road now, uh, mm-hmm. unless you, you know, the old mum and ma and pa roadhouses that we used to have don't exist. We've now got service centres where you can get McDonald's, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken and some other plastic food out of a machine, you know. Um, the, the, the respect for drivers and the industry and the skills has sort of gone away. Um, I mean, you know how you drive down the road and you would see uh, a kid pump his arm, you know, like, like that, and you'd give him a blow on the horn, right? And they'd give you a mm-hmm. big wave. There are guys now that won't even blow the horn for the kids, you know. I I can't I can't stand that attitude. I I did a video on this a uh, couple of weeks ago. Like, okay, even if you hate kids, yeah. there's a there's a good chance you might make that kid cry yeah. by blowing your horn. Yeah. So why not? Yeah. There's nothing to lose. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it like that. But I mean, yeah. I was in traffic. I was in traffic in Texas years ago, and I was driving for a guy. He owned two trucks, mm. and he had train horns. Yeah, right. On his, yep. And I'd never blown the horn on that truck. I'd, I'd only been driving him for for a week or two. Yeah. And we're in stop and go traffic, and there's this kid in the car with his mom next to me, <laughs> and he goes, "Hey, Mister," and I'm like, "I look," and he's giving me the, the sign. And I was like, "All right," and I laid on that horn, and man, that kid started screaming, and that, his mom wanted to murder me. Oh. And I was like, "I'm so sorry. I had no idea they were that loud." Oh man, no, that's that's funny. And that was the first. That was the first kid I made cry. The second one, I'm driving through the suburbs in Philadelphia, and uh, same same kind of deal. This kid was outside walking with his mom, and I'm in the postal truck. And they see me coming, and the kid's like all excited. He sees the truck, yeah. and he gives me the the pump, and I I not even like a long one, just toot toot. But they're so loud, yeah, yeah. and the kids don't realize it. And again, the kid just like immediately crapped his pants and started crying. Ah, <laughs> uh, but look, can you really call yourself a truck driver if you won't blow the horn for a kid that gives you the arm That's pump? No, I mean, no. really? Yeah. Let's face it. I mean, the lifestyle the lifestyle of trucking in my time trucking in Australia has changed. Um, we don't do things the way we used to. The only thing that's constant in trucking in Australia at the moment is change. There are more rules. There are more hurdles to jump. There are more things to satisfy. I mean, it it's just, it gets crazy. It's like the evil empire, you know, where Princess Leia says to Darth Vader, you know, the tighter you squeeze your grip, Darth, the more that slips through your fingers, you know. And that's what's happening here. We're... I've said, and you can quote me because this is a quote that I, you know, I believe that drivers are the lo- we're the low hanging fruit. We're the ones that's the easiest to pick on. We're the face of the industry. We're out there doing the work, and no one's on the same page. the The drivers aren't on the same page as the authorities. The authorities aren't on the same page as anyone. The customers want their freight moved as cheaply as possible, as quickly as possible, wherever they want it, whenever they want it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the companies that are moving the freight, all they're trying to do is make a small amount of money out of it and survive. None of these groups are on the same page. The lawmakers aren't on the same page. So we've got all these people with very disparate interests that are all involved in the same thing. We've got people making decisions about trucking here in Australia that have never driven a truck in their life and have got no idea what it means. We've got mm-hmm. guys who have dedicated their lives, they've got their their house. Uh, their whole life on the line to pay for a truck they're sitting in if they're an owner-driver 
and all they want to do is just go and make money and put a roof over their family's head. I saw something that really disturbed me the other day. Um, there was some guy parked his truck on his own property. I think it was, don't quote me, I think it was Ohio. And he had the cops come around and tell him he couldn't... Georgia. Georgia, was it? Yeah, Tell him Georgia. he couldn't park his truck on his own property. I mean, yeah. excuse my French, but fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> we covered that huh? a couple of weeks ago because in Florida, in South Florida where I used to live, it's not the neighborhoods that are enforcing mm. this. It's the entire county. So they have yeah. ordinances on the books that say, hey, you can't park a commercial vehicle in a residential area. But because yeah. of where this was happening, they didn't have the manpower to enforce any of these mandates. Also, it was kind of like in the swamps, so you know, whatever. Yeah. But now that area has seen more and more money coming in, and it's been yeah. kind of, you know, the roads are now paved and not dirt roads anymore. The the, the more well-to-do people that want to have a little more space are moving out there, and they see all these nasty, yeah. dirty trucks parked around, and they're like, "Ew, gross!" So now there's yeah. more enforcement happening. This guy in Georgia, and, and, and I'm sorry, and so the, the main criticism that everyone says is like, well, those laws were in the books all these years. You know, you should have known that when you were living there. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. fine, whatever. But this guy in Georgia, this was a brand new law that was passed. It's it's not even yeah. a month old. And so I don't know how long this guy has been living there, but, you know, being that he's a truck driver, at least in the video, he's he says he's out for three weeks at a time and, you know, he only comes back home for a couple of days. He doesn't have time to like read up on this shit and, you know, yeah. test to his lawmaker and all, and all this. Plus, it's in his driveway. He's not in the road. He's not blocking anybody. And yeah. another thing with, that I really hate about this law, there's an exemption in there that if you have a piece of property big enough that you can park the truck behind your house out of the site, you get, you get away with it. So if you're rich, if if you're rich enough to have a piece a piece of property big enough to hide your dirty stinky truck, they don't have a problem with that. But if you're like this guy, you know, working class guy who, you know, have, probably has a nice little humble house and just wants to work for a living, now you got the yeah. law coming after you. Unbelievable! And I saw a sign in the back of a sh- a back of a truck here going down the highway the other week. If you don't like trucks, stop ordering shit. That's what it said <laughs> on the back of the truck. I mean. And what's worse, Mike, the fine is $1,000, but it's also 60 days in jail. Yeah, that's crazy. Up to 60 days in jail. Wow, that's crazy. That is crazy. You guys sometimes are batshit yeah. crazy. I can understand why now you've got guns. I can understand. Well, that's that North Georgia. It's not South Georgia. We got sense down here. That's the, the Atlanta metro area, you know, Rockdale County, Henry County, Cobb County, the, the, the big political strongholds you know i'm not going to get into a politics show on this podcast no no let's you know that's uh that that's the bad part of bad part of georgia up there well one of the first things i did when i was like researching this whole thing is i I, you know you go on google maps and you look for henry county georgia and it's it's all big houses it's nice you know clean suburbs and you know so to me it makes sense that why they don't want these big dirty trucks you know parking in their neighborhoods um, the thing that annoys me is people are like, yeah. well, these trucks hurt property values. Okay, who gives a shit? It's not the responsibility of the county yeah. to protect your property values. Yeah. That's what an HOA is for. But nobody yeah. wants to live under an HOA. So now they're just they're turning the counties into you know HOAs. HOAs by, do you have HOAs over there? Do you know what we're talking about? Um, I've got no idea what a HOA is. Homeowners Association. Oh, right so, on. Yep. so if you live in like a suburb, you have you know your, 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 your state or Providence – 
county and then the city. And then like you have like a whole government body just in your neighborhood and they'll dictate, you know, what days trash pickup is, what color mm-hmm. your house can be, what kind of mailbox you have. The, oh yeah. The, yeah. We, we, we have that at the local yeah, council. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. there's this attitude here in the States of like, okay, if you want to have that kind of, you know, weird suburb lifestyle, more power to you. Live in a homeowners association, pay your fees, have a good life. But then there's the kind of attitude of like, I will never ever want to live in a homeowners association. Yeah. And so you live in a house kind of outside those limits and you just, you, you live how you want to live. Yeah. But now that's, that's kind of creeping into those people's yeah. areas still. Like yeah. if you don't want to, if you don't want to live in a homeowners association, but your county is passing ordinances that are the same kind of dumb shit that you see in the HOA, you're screwed. Yeah. No, it's just, it's crazy. Well, I can park my prime mover in my driveway. It's got to be on my property though. It's not allowed to be you know, out the front. I can park out the front for an hour. That's a, a, like a local law. I can't park a, a loaded dangerous goods tanker on a public street here. That's got to be in a secured yard or a, a yard that's... Uh, yeah. So you can't do that. But I can bring my, well, you guys call them a tractor, my prime mover, I can bring it home and park it in the driveway and play around with it. And as long as the neighbours don't have an issue with it, no one complains. But then again, yeah. my neighbours, if my neighbour next door had an issue, <laughs> he'd come over and say, hey, Mick, take that thing and cuck off. But, exactly. Uh, no one, we- we don't have that here. People people would rather just go to the cops and say, hey, yeah. can you take care of this driver for me? I, yeah, yeah. Where, where I used to – so I live um, kind of more on the coastal area of New Jersey now. But before I moved here in July, we lived in Pensacon. And it's, it's a very, you know, blue-collar suburb out there. And I lived in Dallaire, uh, the, the subdevelopment of Dallaire. And that's like super blue-collar out there, very working class. And the guy that lived three houses down from me, he had three trucks yeah. parked out there they weren't um i don't know if you call them prime movers he, he had he had one that was a sleeper cab and then he yeah. had two uh seven ton straight trucks right on. and yep. you know he, he, by 9 p.m at night they would be parked um one was in a driveway and the other two were just parked on the street yeah and like nobody cared you know they realized like this is a guy that's got to get to work now he's not like revving the engines and idling them all day long or whatever yeah. you know the, the the trucks are gone during the day because you know he's trying to make money with his with his equipment um yeah. but I, I yeah that, that attitude of like somebody trying to do their job and make a living and then yeah. you know somebody that has no business sticking their nose where it belongs and trying to trying to tell them like how to how to live their life i, I can't i can't yeah. stand that uh, no it's a, it's a bit much and i mean you 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 guys sort of have a bit of a I don't know, a little bit different attitude to things like that over there than we have here. I mean, we we don't... There are people who will stick their nose in your business. There's no doubt about that. They exist everywhere. Um, we've got very, very different law enforcement than what you what you guys have. Um, and I suppose we've got very, very different attitudes as well. As I said before, though, we're all doing the same job. I mean, we've all mm-hmm. got the same problems. And to talk to you and to talk to people that I've spoken to in other parts of the world... We have all the same problems, and to get back to what we're what we're talking about, I think we've obviously got a lot of the same issues. What's the intriguing part is that they're all happening all over the place, and it's all coming together. We've all got the retention issues, we've all got the recruitment issues, we've all got the paying conditions issues, we've all got the the increasing issues with the you know, the the um, environmental requirements. I mean, California's gone completely nuts from what I can see. 
Yeah. Um, you know, everyone's everyone's carrying on about, uh, you know, saving the planet and all that. So now I'm, I'm not saying the planet doesn't deserve to be saved, but for God's sake, some of the things I've seen send the asteroid now. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, the, the thing is, the answers to me, I don't know about you guys, but the answers to me are as obvious as the nose on your face. It all comes down to the money. It all comes down to the fact that if we can get the shippers to pay an extra couple of bucks a ton, then the drivers can be paid properly and that's going to alleviate some of the problems. I know that when I went from being paid from the kilometre to being paid by the hour, it changed my attitude as far as driving goes. I sit in the traffic now and I'm a professional driver. Always have been, I'd like to think. But I sit there, the traffic doesn't aggravate me as much as it used to. You know, I just do my job. And, you know, if the traffic's bad, just turn the stereo on and relax. I'm being paid to be there. I had the same attitude when I joined the Postal Service. I was, yeah. everything was go, 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 go in the beginning. And the guys that had been there for years, they tell you, slow down. You're paid yeah. by the mile, you're paid by the hour now, not the mile. And it, yeah. it takes, it takes like a, a, a couple weeks for like that psychology to really sink in because you've yeah. been driving a certain way for so long yeah that you know you just have it in your head of like i gotta get there i gotta get there i gotta get there and then after like a couple weeks you're like okay why am i wait, why am i running so hard you know it just yeah. you know ex- exactly so, it, it, so we've just we've just really started on the electronic work diary thing over here or what you call e-logs uh, e-log. Uh-huh. E-log. Uh, so i've i've got one of those now and hey, your new bible well, you know, I've written I've written about it a couple of times. It seems to be very different to the way yours are set up. Yours are hooked, actually hooked up to your truck, aren't they? So as soon as you turn it on, it comes on. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. The part of the law is has to be hooked up and uh, record the engine diagnostic data, the engine start time. Yeah. Uh, when it goes in the gear, because it'll automatically put you into uh, line uh, line three driving time. Ah, uh, yeah. Once yeah. you drive so fast or so long you know yeah we've got we've got uh, a system that mine comes on when you turn the ignition on but if you're if you're resting it it won't move and until you move you've got to go faster than eight kilometers an hour but it doesn't turn yeah. it doesn't turn on it doesn't change you from work to rest it records uh it records a, a, a an action so it basically says you move the truck um, we're allowed we're allowed to sort of move the truck to a uh, another parking spot or something like that. No one gets bent out of shape if you do that. Well, they do here, but as <laughs> do they? All oh, right. Yeah, because if you're um, uh, so I don't know how paper logs worked with you guys back in the day, but with us, it was basically just an IQ test. You yeah. Know, <laughs> if you ran into traffic, you would you would truncate that time. <laughs> oh yeah, and, yeah, and make it look legal on paper. But nowadays oh, yeah. you can't you can't do that. The, the the electronic log doesn't lie for you. It's it's not on your side, and so you'll you you get guys that they burn up all their hours driving for the day, and then they get to a truck stop and then they're parked in the middle of that parking lot because one they can't back a trailer worth of shit and they're just trying to find a spot to reset their hours, and then somebody works there that comes out and knocks on the door and says, "Hey man, you got to move," and they say, oh, "I can't because my my hours are all out." Yeah, you know that happens happens all the time with drivers these days. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got issues like that as well. Some blokes couldn't organise a bloody a chook raffle, um, <laughs> so yeah, we we don't have. Uh, I don't think we have any any of those sort of issues that you, you do. We've got we get eight minutes grace, 
Um, so you can have a an eight-minute violation. But it's changed the way I drive. So I end up stopping in places now where I would never have stopped before. Mm-hmm. Um, I get, you know, you get, sometimes you get caught out and you've just got to have your, have your, 30 minute break on the side of the road somewhere you know mm-hmm. that just that's a pain in the ass but at the same time now that I've got used to working within that system it's not that bad um, the beautiful part about it for me is that when I get pulled into the Weybridge to get checked I could just hand him my my e-log tablet and say there you go and it shows no violations and they put their code in and they hand it back to you, and that's the end of the story. Yeah. So you know you don't have, you know you don't have them go through the book and find that you didn't tick this box, or you didn't write your mileage in, or you didn't write a place in, or you didn't do, you know, you didn't write your license number somewhere. Yeah. And so we're not getting. Yeah. So, and bear in mind those fines are like six hundred dollars here. Mm-hmm. You don't tick a box six hundred dollars. Um, so uh, it, it removes. So when we have a thing in the front of our paperwork. A paper log where you have to write your home base in and that tells you uh, where the truck's based and what state time you're using so we've got three uh, at the moment we've got like four time zones in australia because we've got daylight saving on the east coast we don't have it on the west coast yeah. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's a, we it's have a, we have that here there's certain states that have daylight savings and certain uh, certain ones that don't it's a fucking shit show. You go over. You, yeah. So excuse, excuse my excuse me language. We're truck you, drivers. You, you go over the border from New South Wales into Queensland, and they're an hour behind. You know, and you've got Tweed, Tweed Heads, and the Sunshine Coast, and they're divided by a bridge. So you go over the bridge, and they're an hour behind. It's craziness. Yeah. So the same got, thing with got, Arizona here. You go from you go from Mountain Time to Arizona yeah. Time, and then West Coast Time. So it's like yeah. three different time zones within. 300 miles. Yeah, it's crazy. So, I mean, we get that same shit here. And, and of course, you've got to nominate what time zone you're in and nominate what state. And if you don't do that, as soon as you go and get a new logbook and you get called into the Weybridge, that's the first thing they check, whether you've written your home base in. And if you haven't, that's a fine. You don't get that anymore with the, with the e-log. So there are guys over here that were very vocal about them not happening. They're an option here now. You don't have to have one. We're not, be, you know, we don't have to have it. Won't be an option for long. Eh? Won't be an option for long. No, it won't be an option for long. It's like speed limiting over here. It's not optional. Everyone's speed limited, um, yeah. depending on the depending on the truck configuration. If you tow a fifty-three foot trailer over here, um, that's the longest single trailer you can tow. Um, it's got to be towed behind a cab over prime mover. It's still supposed to be uh, nineteen meters, or a little bit over nineteen, maybe twenty meters, I think, in length. Don't quote me on that because I don't tow them. But you're only allowed to do 90 kilometres an hour if you've got a 53 foot trailer. Mm. So for the US, for the US listeners, that's um, about 55, about 50 isn't miles it? an hour, 50, about 55, yeah. yeah, 55, yeah, something like we that. We have yeah. an entire generation raised on the song "I Can't Drive 55." Yeah, no, no, well, so that's it. We have uh, the, the the quad road trains that I was driving up in the Pilbara, four trailers. Um, so the tri, a tri-drive prime mover, so three drive axles on the prime mover. Um, each trailer's got, uh, the front. The lead trailer's got three axles on it. Each of the dollies between the trailers has got three axles, and the last three trailers have all got four axles. And that's on a public road, and they're 210 tonnes. That's, like, that's, 
metric tons. So yeah. I don't know what that converts to in your language, but it's it's um, quite a bit. You know, 156 tons of iron ore in those, and we're driving those on public roads. They're limited at 90 kilometres an hour. But you can only tell if <laughs> That makes sense not. to me because, you know, it's, it's going to take you three miles to stop the thing. Ah, uh, no, they pull up pretty good, actually. But... <laughs> This is what what I'm trying to point out is the the, the lack of logic in the whole thing. You've got a 53 foot trailer behind a, a single uh, tractor. I'll use your words so you'll know what I'm talking about. So you've got that 90 kilometres an hour. Then you've got the biggest truck you can drive on a public road anywhere in the world, 90 kilometres an hour. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. I mean, well, we see got, we we see that problem here in the states where you know you, you mentioned your that senator. Um, you know, he used to drive a truck. He has a son yep. in the industry. All of our lawmakers are lawyers. You know, they yeah, have yeah. law. They have law backgrounds. Maybe a, a medical degree here and there. Yeah. Um, but you know, we we talked all the time. I don't think we have any lawmakers at all in the country that have a commercial driver's license or have been behind the wheel of a semi. Yeah. So they're passing. They're passing all these rules and regulations, um, and they have no idea how it's going to impact a driver. Yeah. Um, we had we had a guest on a few months ago that um, mentioned that at least within within the agency the FMCSA a lot of these guys that will pass a new rule of regulation they retire there's nobody left to like hang out to dry that that person's long gone yeah well our our bureaucrats are the same we've been having a license review here um, for a licensing review here that's been going on since like 2011. Um, <laughs> And we're still working through the same just morass of stupidity. Um, we've finally got a, a – I did a show on it recently. We finally – I got one of the guys from the organisation on to talk about – and, look, I didn't rip him up because it was just – you just there's no point. And if you do, you don't get to interview them again. Exactly. But, but, the, but the point of it is, is, and he made it quite clear, I mean, they've, they've had to do that much – background work to make the recommendations that they're now making and they've had to satisfy that many people and jump through that many hoops um what looks to us on the outside as just straight out stupidity is to them just their daily work it's bureaucracy yeah yeah and i was horrified well i was horrified to find out our national heavy vehicle regulator uh, which is not national but that's another story we could do a whole show on that um they don't have any power, even though they enforce the laws on the roads here. Or their their officers are the ones that man the way bridges, and they, you know, they they check us and you know issue infringement notice and all this. But they've got no influence on what the laws actually are. They've got hmm. they can't adjust a law. They can't do anything. Right? <laughs> they just they just an enforcement arm, and they you know, they issue the permits and all the rest of it. But they just they've got no power to actually change anything. And I was amazed to find that out. I only found that out last year. You know, so you know, it's just I, one of the. I can't imagine it's any fun working in an organization like that. You know, you're you're tasked with, you know, doing all these rules and regulations, but you have zero input in, into how well how things are run. I, without putting too fine a point on it, we're we're, we're going through major changes here, uh, attitudinal changes and culture changes, as far as culture of the industry I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And and there needs to be more change, and the and the and the guys that are actually running the national heavy vehicle regulator now, uh, you know, I've I've met them face to face, talked to them, and 
Uh, that's a funny story. I don't know if I can share that. <laughs> Should I or not? We can go off record if you want. <laughs> after, after we finish recording. <laughs> after we finish recording. No, look, we, uh, we, look, I don't, look I'll, I'll tell you the story. You can choose to chop it out or not. Um, we had a conference up in Toowoomba, which is a little country town, and a uh, bloke named Sal Petrosito, who's the CEO of the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator, was there. And Senator Carol Brown was there. She was, uh, she's a partner in crime with my friend Glenn Stirl, and and she's the Assistant Minister for for Transport of the country at the moment. She's a federal uh, federal senator, obviously. And uh, we're having an auction at the end of the night, and uh, I was the I was the MC for the conference, and uh, I was running the auction, and we had these two beautiful. Um, books of, of illustrated art, truck art, you know, trucking uh, portraits of truck drivers and things like that. And they were, they were autographed by the author. And we're, we're getting the bidding underway. And I thought it would be a nice thing because Carol Brown was a new senator and she'd come to her job without a lot of transport experience and she was really uh, feeling the heat. She hadn't been in the seat for very long. And, you know, I'd met her and she impressed me a lot because she came into a room where everyone expected her to just trip over and fall flat on her face. And uh, she's standing beside me and she's shaking like a leaf. And the amount of intestinal fortitude it took for her to stand there and address, and address a room full of cynical truck drivers <laughs> and, you know, and make it all make sense. And we, I saw this book on running the auction. I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice just to give her a gift to say thanks for coming, you know? So I bid on this damn book. And there was two of them. And uh, and uh, there was a laugh and saying, you can't bid on the book. <laughs> you know? So anyway, short, long story short, I ended up buying the book and I took it over and I presented it to Carol in front of the whole audience and said, thanks for coming. Look at this book. And when you look at the book, think about the job you're doing. You know, Think about the people mm-hmm. in this room and what you're representing and what you've heard here today. And she was very touched by the whole thing. And uh, we shook hands. And for God knows what reason, I gave her a peck on the cheek, gave her a kiss on the cheek. Now, getting to Sal Petrosito, we had a second book, and we thought it'd be a good idea just to give that book to Sal as a gift uh, for coming to our conference and, and all the rest of it. So I've gone over to present the book to Sal, shake his hand, all the rest of it, and he presented his cheek to me, and I gave him a, pe- <laughs> a peck on the cheek. So, so. So that's the guy we've got running the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator in Australia now. And look, he's a human guy. He's just, he does things that you don't expect from someone in the role. And uh, that, uh, just the whole sense of humour and the the whole thing to me, it illustrates a breath of fresh air that we've got in enforcement here in in Australia now. Hmm. Whether that can filter through to the guys on the road, that's another thing. But I think that you know a changes in the a changes in the air, and I, I wrote the story called a new sheriff in which I you know, called a new a new sheriff in town, and uh, because they've been taking over the the regulation in the different states. But Sal and Carol uh, impressed me a lot when I met them face to face. They're not the ogres that you think they are, <laughs> and I don't know where we go now from that. Where do you go? <laughs> well. Okay, I wanted to cover one last topic, and then we'll wrap yeah, this sure. up here. We, we were talking about like organizing yep. earlier, and you know the, we saw in Canada just the actual raw power that yep. an organized movement can have, and very quickly grind things to a screeching halt. 
Yeah. You know, all it all it took was what was it? Not even a hundred drivers. Yeah. And they they parked their trucks in downtown Ottawa and just completely stopped that city dead in its tracks. Right. And they were in a panic because all of the local tow companies out there were like, "We're not. First of all, we don't have the." capability to tow these guys out you need a yep. you need a you need a wrecker not a tow truck to tow a mm-hmm. semi off the road and then the other half was like most of those guys are on their side yeah that's right and so the government and, had to get super heavy-handed to break up that uh that protest well I, yeah i saw that and that was that was when uh gordo uh, and i started talking and um i i interviewed him and did a special which is on my podcast there's a link there, a special show with the interview with Gordon about that at the time. I was uh, I was amazed by several things there. First off, that the organisation existed for that sort of thing to happen. I was mm-hmm. amazed by the amount of money that they raised through the GoFundMe. Then I was equally amazed when uh, Mr Trudeau and the, everyone else decided to uh, come out from hiding under their bed and thought, oh, we can deal with this, we can cut their funding off. Um, so maybe the Canadians do authoritarianism about as well as we do it here in Australia. Um, <laughs> that whole thing, <laughs> you, you might need to bleep that out. That whole thing, that whole thing just illustrated to everyone several things. If you're paying attention, the amount of power that truck drivers and truckers do have when we choose to stick together, because we can bring things to a grinding halt bloody quickly. Mm-hmm. And the next thing it is how heavy-handed the government are prepared to get to to stop it from happening. So to illustrate that story, uh, in 1979 here in Australia, we had a blockade called the Razorback Blockade. And my, as a friend, my my uh, my friend and you know, uh, 74 or 5 or however old he is now, uh, driver Barry Grimson was one of the five guys that were the ringleaders of that. Uh, and a quick plug for me, Andy and I on the podcast are doing an audio book of Razorback, The Real Story, which was written by Ted Stevens, who was the guy that was running it. Ted's since passed away. Hmm. Um, that was our, uh, that was our uh, equivalent of what happened in Ottawa here in Australia. And that was all about road tax. It was nothing to do with, you know, obviously the Canadian thing was the, the COVID mandates and the impositions and all that. But ours was all about road tax and road laws and guys getting sent to jail for not paying their, their road tax. We've lost that ability to organise here in Australia. Um, we, don't, we don't seem as though we're willing to do it anymore. Uh, a friend of mine, Tony Fulton, uh, who was an owner-driver, decided that he was going to try and start a blockade up near the Queensland border on the COVID restrictions. In other words, try to do what had been done in Ottawa. Um, he didn't last more than a couple of hours before he was moved on. Yeah. And uh, he's since left the industry. He's basically had no choice. And, um, you know, he was one of the very few who had the uh, intestinal fortitude to put his truck on the line, several hundred thousand dollars worth of truck, and risk the potential of it being towed away by the police because they've got the power to do that here. They can just hook him up and tow him away or push him off the side of the road to clear the road. So organising, we're, we're, we're in a situation now where, as a group, truck drivers here are, are, are divided. Um, there are a lot of guys who just put their head down, look down, and they do their own thing, and they don't worry about it. They've just got the blinkers on, mm-hmm. and we just fo- you know, focus on what we want to do. We don't want to get in, involved in any fights. We don't want to do any of that. 
there are other guys that are more militant and who are probably willing to have the fight, but then there are guys that are willing to fight about anything at any time, and there's always a small group of those. Oh, we're in some uh, group chats with guys like that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, as far as organising goes, we don't have... We don't have the um, we don't have the guts, I don't think, to to pull it pull it through now. Tony made the mistake of thinking Facebook likes and Facebook followers would turn into action at his yeah. blockade. That was a mistake. Yeah, um, yeah, we we see that all the time where people will have these Facebook groups and you know they'll mm. they'll promise you know we're going to shut this down and we're going to block yeah. this up and yeah. you know but yeah. when it happens it's like five guys. Yeah, five yeah. guys and, turn and, up. And everybody just drives around them. And usually when this happens, you also see, uh, hey, donate to my campaign or, yeah, you know, yeah. wanting money, basically. And, you know, it winds up being yeah. a con operation. Well, that that to me was what was so impressive about the Canadian uh, operation. Because, like Rich was saying, every it seems like anytime somebody tries to organize something here in the States, it very yeah. quickly comes out that it's just a, a Ponzi scheme or, you know, they're, yeah. they're just trying to make a quick buck. But even, um, I don't know if you've been following um, what's been going on with the rails out here with the train unions, unions and stuff. No. We oh. just avoided a huge shutdown. So if you think the trucking industry has been bad the last couple of yeah. decades, the rail industry is even worse because those poor guys, I mean, you can't even they take don't a even get without being under threat of being terminated. Exactly. Really? Yeah. 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 No. And so, so they had all their guys threatening to go on strike months ago, and yeah. the government the government stepped in and they set up what was called a presidential emergency board. And what yep. that says is like, okay, we hear you guys. Please get back to work. We're going to keep negotiating behind the scenes and work something out, and uh, we'll let you know when we when we get results. Yeah. Nothing happened. They passed nothing. They agreed to nothing, and so the threat of a strike came up again. And the union leaders blinked. They capitulated. They said, okay, yeah. we're not going to strike. We'll, we'll take whatever we can get. And yeah. so the, nothing's been ratified yet, but the contract that's coming out is basically they get one paid sick leave day a year. Wow. And, they, and, and, that's any, any, and they have to have it pre they, and they have to have that one day pre-approved, yeah. and it can only be during Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> so... Oh, they man. were they were they were threatening to to shut down, yeah. and you're, t- you're talking you're talking about billions of dollars of freight that gets moved by these guys. Yeah, yeah. and um, we have midterm elections coming up. Yeah, and they're, they're, they they were gonna they, this was the best opportunity they had. the The rail companies have been bragging about record profits for the last year because they're trying to make yeah. themselves look good for the the Wall Street investors. Meanwhile, the guys have been getting crushed. Um, they're not hiring as many new guys as they used to. So. They're trying to do more work with it with fewer and fewer people. guys that are still willing to do the jobs. They're, they're wanting to they go. Had, to, they're wanting to go to one person operating a train, a three mile long train operated by one person. So if it breaks down and he's got to go out and go halfway down that track uh, to fix the problem and then walk another mile and a half back to the to the, the, the engine, you know, it it just it, it boggles my. But anyway, my my whole point is the the union leadership there needs to go. If I was yeah. a dues paying member, I would be just shouting for every rooftop available. Like they all need to go. Yeah, and well, I see, I, yeah. I see the same problem with, with union truck driving here too, where these guys are more interested in keeping their um, positions in their union offices than they are actually taking care of the drivers. 
because like yeah. we see all the time, they're so afraid of losing contracts. They're so afraid of hurting a customer or, you know, maybe bruising an ego here and there. And my, you know, when I was in the postal service, I would get guys that came to me all the time and say, Oh, Justin, you should run for this or you should do this or that. And I tell them, do not give me that kind of power because I will burn everything to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes some things need to be burnt to the ground, mate. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that we have let things go, uh, and I'm sure you guys have done the same thing, and, it, and, and there's been no pushback on any of it. So something little will change, and we go, oh, gee, we don't like that much. But no one does anything about it. And they keep moving up until the point where someone pushes back, and then they stop, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, you know, the, 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 the smoke clears, and the fuss dies away, but they don't move back. And then they'll take another pace forward. And we've been losing things. And our union, our transport workers union, <clears throat> we, from an owner driver's point of view and from a, a long distance tro- driver's point of view, our transport workers union, uh, I hesitate to say it's a joke. Um, it's, it's not a joke, but they certainly have other interests before ours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're more interested in Uber drivers and baggage handlers and stuff like that now than we are in transport workers union uh, in in like long distance uh, drivers, and very few drivers are in the union now. Yeah, what we what we have here are um, associations. You know, we have the American Trucking Association, the Ohio oh, yeah. Trucking. So any anything that's like X Y Z association, all they yeah. are is like a they're a, a think tank group set in Washington D.C. Lobbyist and they're there to cover. Yeah, they're lobbyists, and they're there on the behest of the trucking companies, not the drivers. Yeah. How, long, so every, how, long every, your show, how long is your show, Rooster? Would you like me to start on the ATA? Oh, shit. Our version? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, how long that, have you got I, me? I would get, uh, anybody that wants to rant on the ATA, <laughs> you'll get front-page news over here, man. Well, I'll tell you what, the, the Australian Trucking Association, the peak body of trucking in Australia, my ass. Mm-hmm. They're the peak body of. You've only got to get on their web page and look at their sponsor list, yeah. and who supports them and who they represent. They don't represent grassroots truck drivers. They represent truck companies, the companies, lawyers, stuff like they're, they're, that. You know. So what they like to do. This is how they roll here. Right? I don't know. Tell me if it's the same over there. This is how they roll here. We like to prop someone up who might have driven a truck at one stage um, as the. Uh, as the president, and he's the face of the ATA, right? He or she mm-hmm. is the face of the ATA. Then they'll have a small business representative on the board. They used to have a driver representative, but we don't we don't even pretend to have that anymore. Yeah. We had a union representative. The union walked away because they couldn't influence the ATA. <laughs> um, I ain't saying it, but that sounds I, like a union. I know. <laughs> so, you know, what we've got now is we've got an Australian Trucking Association that if they've got anything to say about anything, who it's only if they can all agree. So they've got very, very disparate uh, representation members of, uh, associate members of the ATA. And if they can all agree on something, then they'll, they'll have something to say. If they can't agree on it, on it, they'll have some sort of a non-statement like, you know, we like the idea of, oh, and say, let me, let me see if I can frame an ATA statement for you accurately. We go something like this. We here at the ATA 
applaud the moves by the government to improve the safety standards of trucking in Australia, and we will do all we can to support those moves. That's an that, you know, that old rubber stamp. And, 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 that old rubber stamp message. Oh, put yeah, on everything. You know, rubber stamp that bastard. Yeah. We and, and, and just a clear example of that. We've just had we had our uh, former government before they were arsehole out in the last election. Um, made a a, a, an, a cut to excise on fuel. So excise is a tax on fuel, right? So yeah. User pays tax. The more fuel you burn, the more excise you pay. So they had a cut to the excise. Road transport in Australia had a thing called a, um, a fuel tax credit. So you could claim back, uh, I think it was 17.8 cents a litre for every litre of fuel you burned. So when they cut the excise, they scrapped the fuel tax credit. But the net effect was that we were five cents better off a litre after they hmm. did that. And that excise was always going to come back on. And the big fear, though, obviously, was that when the excise came back on, we wouldn't get the fuel tax credit back, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that excise has just come back on and they've just given the fuel tax credit back and they've given them a small bump, they've given them a centilitre, but the excise has come back more expensive than it was when it went away. And the net effect is now we're five cents a litre out the back door. Mm-hmm. The problem with it is, is you've got to find that five cents a litre up front. And as you know, when you're, you know, you're burning uh, you know, five, six hundred litres of fuel a day or more, uh, that adds up, five cents a litre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, here we had the ATA <laughs> and the, uh, yeah, the ATA and, uh, you know, all these other associations saying, how this is a good thing because they only fucked us with lube. They didn't go in dry. <laughs> you know, that's essentially... <laughs> I mean, you can beat that or do whatever you want, but the short story of it was we've got these guys out here who are supposed to be representing trucking. All they're doing is saying, oh, the government's done a wonderful job. It's only going to cost us five cents a litre. And I, and, I, and I sat back and not one, not one of the associations said that. And, of course, when I went ahead and said it on my show, I reckon I got 30 phone calls within an hour after that show went live telling me I was right. Yeah, you know, it, it's just it's mental. Like like you, Rooster. If I got that level of power, I would burn the joint to the ground, or at least mm-hmm. I'd try. I reckon someone might bash me before I got that far. But anyway, <laughs> is that how <laughs> well, the ATA roll in your country? Oh, 100 percent. Oh yeah. So yeah, we have organizations that cover drivers, but they're much more small and niche. We yeah. don't have anything that covers company drivers. Um, if, if you're a union member, you know you've you've got your your local. But those guys are so poorly operated right now that they're yeah. they're basically a, a joke you know they're they're more they're they're busier fighting off lawsuits right now than they are passing improvements to driver pay or, or working conditions yeah how, how are your skills of getting the background noises down there uh john <laughs> well, i'll work i'll work on that i didn't i was hoping my mic wouldn't pick all that up but sometimes it does no, no, it's all good. I, it makes me laugh because I often get it. I'll get my dogs will pile into the room with me and they'll be wanting to, you know, have a look and see what's going on. And Yeah, no, look, I don't know. Organisation, mate. We couldn't... It's not that they don't want to. It's not that the drivers don't want to get organised. It's not that they don't want to see change. It's I don't think that they believe in the ability to change anything. And yeah. that's the problem. So we've got two groups here or two real groups here that represent drivers. One's called the Transport Workers Union, and as I said, their focus is not on long-distance drivers. 
they do do a reasonable job and to say that they haven't represented certain slices of industry well in the past would be wrong because they have. Um, but they're certainly not they're not the powerhouse they once were. That's um, exactly what we have here because we have the Teamsters. Yeah. And once Jimmy Hoffa went away, they basically have just become a, a, an emasculated shell of their former self, as yeah, uh, our friend yeah. our friend Gord would say. Yeah, that's right. And, 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 you, and you see that because their, their, their leadership is not what it was. The membership is not what it was. And yeah. I don't see it improving whatsoever going forward. Yeah, well, we've got a situation now where we've, We've got uh, union elections, which are about to happen in the state of Victoria. And uh, I think that there's a whole uh, private slate of individuals who are going to go up against the the current hierarchy in the union in Victoria because they've decided that they're hopeless. And uh, I wish them well with that. The other group that we've got here that represents drivers and owner drivers and, uh, you know, some company interests, I suppose, but not not a lot. Mostly drivers and owner drivers is the National Road Freighters Association, um, and that's the that's the group that I chaired the conference for, or I emceed the conference for. Um, but they they're not a powerhouse either. Um, they do have a seat at the table, uh, along with the union and everyone else, but it's just one voice, and uh, we've got to wait and see what happens. The, the problem with it is, is and I've tried to encourage drivers to, to have a say. If you don't, if you don't say anything, silence is, you know, silence consent. If you, if, if you remain silent, then, you know, nothing's going to be done about your concerns. You've got to get out there and address your concerns. Right now here in Australia, we've got a, a federal Labor government, which is a, a, a Democrat government, the same as what you would call a Democrat government. We've got all that loony left rubbish that's going on but from a transport point of view uh, and I wrote about this before the election I was torn because I'm a conservative you know Um, uh, I'm a Republican for the want of a better description Um, so your guys understand what side of the fence I'm on sure the the problem that we have is that our Republican or our liberal what we call a liberal government and with this is where we get messed up with the terms because we call things very different things to what you guys do our right wing centre-right government wasn't doing right-wing centre-right things and we weren't getting the support in transport from the government that we deserved to get. And I could see that happening. And then I knew people like Senator Glenn Stirl were sitting on the, the other side of the aisle and I looked at the program that they were offering for transport at the last election and you couldn't help but see that... As a conservative, you were torn. If you're in transport in Australia, you would be torn because you could see what was going on was we were going to be better off. But to get all that support from the the other side of the aisle, unfortunately, all the loony left-wick crap came with it. You know, and <laughs> yeah, uh, you you see that with labor movements here too. Every every time a Starbucks store or hmm. an Amazon warehouse wants to unionize, hmm. those movements. If they don't succeed by like yeah. super razor thin margins, yeah. they immediately crumble apart. And I talked to a journalist, a uh, friend of mine who works at NPR, it's yeah. a national public radio out here, yeah. and she was. I told her we we had a Amazon warehouse here that was about to try. Or, I'm sorry, it was down in um, Alabama. There was yeah. that Amazon warehouse that was like working on organizing down there, and I told her it was going to fail, and she didn't believe yeah. me because all yeah. all she was doing was reading what the organizers were telling her. Yeah. And I said, you don't understand the culture down there. Most of the people that work in that warehouse, all they want is 
they want to work a little few they want to work fewer hours they want to be paid a little more money and they would like to have a rest a restroom break every once in a while yeah. they're not yeah. they're not they're not looking to smash capitalism or take over the company or you know start a revolution or anything they just want you know slightly better working conditions yeah. and these organiz- organizing movements fall apart because they're spearheaded by super super radical movements yeah. and i i think uh, one of the worst things that happened to the labor movement out here is that the the, the right wing kind of stopped getting organized in that kind of stuff you know you would yeah. you would see there's a there's a great book about jimmy hoffa called out of the jungle by professor thaddeus russell and he demonstrates from the beginning of how jimmy hoffa's movement was so successful because it was a right wing labor movement yeah and and also it was kind of apolitical really because he was he was there to take care of his members he wasn't there to overthrow the companies or you know whatever but unfortunately he was also there because of the mob so that that's a whole other another <laughs> <laughs> bag of worms what but, could possibly go wrong <laughs> but the but, but the motivations behind it were hey these are guys that are working they want to be paid fairly let's yeah. let's get together and, and figure this out we yeah. don't have that anymore and I, I i have no idea where to begin to even start kindling that flame again yeah it's tough yeah. i mean I, I try and talk about you know having a voice and you know doing what you can to talk to your representatives and and make sure that your voice is heard i suppose having uh senator Stirl quote me in the senate really should show people that if you do um have something to say you can be heard in this country and that's the great thing I don't think I've ever heard someone in uh, in in America quote a truck driver or Canada or England or anything like mm-hmm. that. We can have a say, and I'd say to your listeners, you know, if you if you're sitting there and you're driving the truck and you listen to this and you've got something to say, then for God's sake, find out who you need to say it to. You know, write the email to your local member, join the organisation that speaks on your behalf. You know, do the right thing. And and don't worry so much. I mean, again, I'd hate to quote John F. Kennedy, but you know, don't think about what the country owes you. You think about what you own the country. But I'd change that to don't think about what trucking owes you. Think about what you own trucking. What's the legacy you want to leave behind? You know, I meet people like Barry Grimson, the Razorback legend. I've met you know Spencer Watling and and all these other guys that organise this thing. They change the face of our industry by having a say. Rod Hanafy is one of our greatest ambassadors for trucking here in Australia, safety ambassador. He's known for the things that he does. He's got the, you know, the best bang for its buck safety policy to mark informal rest areas on the highways anywhere in the world. The man has a say, but he's one voice. If we don't join people like him and organisations like his and don't use our voice then for God's sake, you've got to have the common sense to realise nothing is going to change. Nothing changes on its own. We've got to drive the change. And it's never been easier than ever before today yeah. to get in touch with people. I mean, hell, man, we're on opposite sides of the planet and we're talking live to each other. Yeah. Um, you have platforms like Twitter and TikTok where anyone yeah. can go on there, speak their mind, and you'll within a day or a week, you've got millions of people listening in. Well, you, you know, can. The, it's quite the, easy. Yeah. The, the, the tools have never been better, but for whatever reason, it just it seems like it's harder and harder to organize. So, Well, 
too many guys watching Pornhub instead of worrying about truck driving. Or is that wrong? Because I should I not say that? You know, you know. I mean, we've got the same amount. Of, can I can I just add something else? Oh, sorry, can I just add something else? We've got the same issues. I mean, I, I, I was reading about you, you guys have parking issues. So in New York now, you can't park mm-hmm. a truck in New York. You park a truck in a in a Walmart parking area, you can expect to get booted or towed. Yep. You know, and. I, you know, you, you hear people say the reason about it. Well, they, you know, people are sick of seeing piss jugs and rubbish all over the place. And yeah. we've got the same issues here. You go into, you know, we've got road uh, roadside rest areas with little to no facilities. We've got, you, you can't get a park in a metropolitan area around here. You can't even park a, a dangerous goods truck at the wharf down here. You know, God knows what happens if you if you need a rest and you've got a container with dangerous goods in it. You're not parking at the wharf because they won't let you. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got all these same sort of issues around the world. It's about time we got together as a group and talked to each other about what we're doing and what we can do. And all I can say to your listeners, the same as I say to mine, the best thing to do is use your voice. That's it. Well, it's been a pleasure listening to yours. Um, Bruce, you got anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? No, uh, it has been a great learning experience uh, having you on the show here, Mike. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, I kind of wonder what it's going to look like when we turn this on the other foot and you can interview us on your podcast. So, Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I will, you know. I'll get the names right next time because I believe I've been calling Justin Rooster. Yeah, <laughs> and and I and I've just twigged that it's the other way around. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, I caught it once or twice. Eh? I I, I kind of heard that once or twice. Oh, I was wrong. <laughs> see, this is because that's what because you look like the big rooster, Justin. Aha! Uh-huh. It's the it's the beard, man. That's a fucking epic beard. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, Mike doesn't know the freight the freight waves freight waves will roll. Uh, just <laughs> talk about big big the big guys. <laughs> the, my, oh yeah the, <laughs> everybody that works in this company is like over six feet tall is that right yeah the first time i met dooner we were flying to chat uh, to um arkansas, arkansas. and yeah. i met him at the airport and the guy's like another three inches tall and like i'm not a, i'm six foot and yeah. so you know i've only met him like through, through twitter or, or you know i've seen photos and stuff but you don't yeah. know how tall these guys are so the first time i meet him i'm like son of a bitch this guy's tall and then we and then we meet uh um Michael Vincent. Michael Vincent. Everybody in this organization is like super tall, and they're like, "Yeah, we got this other guy. He's like six foot seven. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm. I'm actually trying to understand what it is that you guys do. I, I. Like, I had a bit of a read, and I've looked at the back of the truck up, and I've looked at uh, you know Timothy Dooner, and you see, I see him on Twitter, and I, I wasn't aware until we started talking uh, that you were all sort of tied up with the same thing. I thought you were mm-hmm. all just individual guys, you know. And I, I, I wish I'd had five minutes with Gordo for him to fucking explain to me how it all fit together. Because it's only starting. Because it makes you look like a dickhead. You're on the, you know, ask me about trucking in Australia and I can tell you who's up who and how far. You know, <laughs> and I know nothing about you guys and uh, or very little. And I've learned, I've learned a lot and I appreciate you saying that it's fun. I'm surprised that, We've managed to be able to understand each other for a couple of hours. Um, um, in as much as we're all trucking, tr- trucker trucking is a universal language. Yeah. So, yeah, it's crazy. I'd love to talk to you guys anyway um, and find out more about 
trucking in, in, the, in America, um, obviously get a different picture to what Gordo's painted. I've, you know, I've, I've spoken to guys like, um, you know, Hagen from Hellbent Express. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we know Hagen. He's great. Yeah, good friend we need to get him on the show. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's a he's a great guy. We've we've had a, a few messages. I got another I got a, another guy who lives in Nebraska. Tony Schultz, his name is. Um, he he's uh, a, a flatbedder and yeah. all that sort of sort of stuff. Lives in Beamer, Nebraska. Shout out Tony if you're listening, buddy. And you know. <laughs> Obviously, Gordo and a few other guys. There's, there's guys I get uh, emails from guys in the states and you know send them pictures and things like that. So if there's anyone that listens to this show and has got anything to say, please feel free to email me, Mike at ontheroadpodcast.com.au, and uh, I'll answer your questions. Um, might send you guys some caps, I suppose. Some some mm. on the road hey. caps. Hey, <laughs> that'll <stuff>. work. <laughs> We'll get you here to like, send you some stuff too, if we can. Yeah, uh, look, it's look, we, we've got to work together. We really do. Yeah. Thanks very much, James Brown, James Bowen. Yeah. <laughs> James. I Bowen. get the James Brown. Oh, I, I get the James Bond. I get all that stuff. Mate, I tell you what, I I, I saw I, like because the writing's really small, and I look, oh, that's James Brown, and I go like, oh no, James Bowen, and I was gonna. Have you seen that James Brown thing where people walk up and they go? Feels good, and that's a video, yeah. and people just throw their shit in the air. Have you seen that? <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, thanks very much for having me. Oh, it's been All a pleasure, right. man. And uh, I'll take care. All right. Too. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm James Rooster Bowen here with just Super Trucker Martin and Mike Williams of On the Road Podcast, and we will catch you guys down the road. <laughs>